Judgment is really where we get the word restoration from. And how many know that you cannot restore order until you first judge that which is out of order? And so God wants to bring judgment here tonight in your life. Anything that's out of order, He wants to restore it. But in order for Him to restore it, He has to first judge that which is out of order. Amen? Amen. See, too many times we're afraid of terms that the Scripture uses is because we've had these Bible-thumping preachers that just sort of tried to put the fear of God in us in a wrong way, and that's not what God intended. God wants to chasten us tonight because He wants to let us know that He loves us and that we're not illegitimate. And uh, so these things are important, but when we've grown up into homes and then we're maybe not corrected in order, uh, in a right way, uh, sometimes we have a wrong view of correction. Some of us have never been corrected. And we come into the church and the pastor tries to correct you and you think you're not loved. Come on. Don't go to sleep on me. I promise you I'm not boring. But I want to help us tonight to understand that God is wanting to restore order to His house. He wants to restore order to the earth. Jesus said the meek shall what? Inherit the earth. And God wants to restore that kind of order so that He can give us our inheritance. And so tonight we're going to touch on some things concerning biblical economics. And the title of this is Dominion Through Economics. Uh, In Deuteronomy 8.18, I've given you power to get wealth. What for, God? To establish my covenant. Why is it so important that we establish God's covenant on the earth? Because God's an invisible God. You cannot see Him with your natural eyes. And God chose a vehicle that which He would work through to reveal Himself. So He chose covenant as the vehicle to make Him visible. And so that's why the enemy wants you all to be covenant breakers. We've all done it. I have done it. I have broken covenant foolishly with people and things in my past because of my immaturity and ignorance. We all have broken covenant and done it wrong. Am I correct? Right? Be humble tonight. And so that's what I want to talk about is that we need to understand something here. God wants something established on the earth. Not doom and gloom theology that the devil's about to take over. That's not what God wants established. He wants His covenant on the earth that everybody has to deal with the visible God because He's been made visible by the church because they established His covenant on the earth. And He wants to give us wealth to do that. Money ain't to build your kingdom or to build the other kingdom. Wealth is to build His kingdom. Where? Right here on the earth. And so that's what I'm going to be talking about tonight. I'm going to say some things that may not reflect your pastor's view. So don't run up to him afterwards and say, Do you really believe that way? In other words, because you don't agree with me, keep it here where you disagree with. Don't let it spill over into the church. Be mature about it. Chew your cud 
right? The Scripture says we're to eat animals that chew the cud. Why was that important in the Levitical law? Because an animal had to chew his cud, and then when he would swallow it, if it wasn't broken down properly, he had to, what, regurgitate it back up and chew it on some more because he wasn't to begin to walk until after his cud was chewed, and then there had to be a two-hoofed animals to make sure that you take the Word of God, you properly break it down, and you walk it out in a divided path so that you understand what is of the flesh is of the flesh and what is of the Spirit is of the Spirit. Amen? Amen. So that's important. So chew your cut. If I give you some big word tonight and you don't understand it, don't say I've got a devil, please. All right? Take care of your own devils. Quit worrying about mine. And so that's what I want to help you with is that chew your cud. Because I'm not here to give you milk. I, I told Pastor Eric, look, I, where I go, I'm very strategic. I'm here because of a divine appointment. Trust me, I'm here because of a divine appointment. I don't have time. I speak in very little anymore because of all the things that I do and all the things that I'm involved in. I own seven different companies Two of them are drug development companies. We're five months away to begin animal testing on an HIV vaccine. We've been working on this. I cannot tell you how excited that I am. Not only that, the scientists that are my partners in this, uh, some of them are University of Texas, and they said that, you know, based at this point, they're so conservative, we believe that what we have here will get rid of all autoimmune disease. But here's a problem. That's therapeutic. Pharmaceutical companies can't measure so many drugs out over so much years to bring in so much money to answer to their investors, stockholders. When you tell them you have something therapeutic, they want to give you a billion dollars and put it on the back shelf because it's more of a threat to their power base. So we have a lot of issues that we deal with and things that I'm facing right now. Um, And I could tell you a lot about all the businesses that I'm involved in. You'd say it's impossible. It is. Because I don't do it through me i do it through others i reproduce myself and learn to love people that means trust right love is trust and i learn to trust my ceos and presidents of these companies and let them go with it and that's important with all the stuff that i do and everything because i believe in what i preach Uh, about seven years ago i traveled for years and we were talking john kelly and i were way back in our new york days and and uh, and I used to to speak at his conference every year and and uh, on economics and uh, and uh, I uh, really had a chance over the years to try to test the church out in many places to see if it has an ear to hear what the Spirit of God is saying concerning the revealed Word because it has to be revealed truth that sets you free. The truth is here, rather you don't see it or not, but until you see it, it becomes truth. But um, really helping in this area of economics. And so through the years, uh, I have learned not to preach or go where they don't have an ear to hear. I don't, have, I don't want to waste my time and I don't want to waste your time. Because offenses must come. And I'm going to offend some tonight. So get ready. It may be the rock, and I hope it is the rock of offense. And if it trips you up, guess what you need to do if you feel yourself getting offended? Because God doesn't need anybody to defend His Word. He's, he's big enough. And if you're a Christian that God needs your help, you're in wrong Christianity. You're in the wrong Christianity. I want to tell you something. I'm going to say some things that you've never heard or seen in Scriptures before. 
and they're not going to line up with a lot of your thinking because you've been told one thing when the Scripture says something else. And we've all been guilty of that. Amen? And so, it's safe for me to say, don't believe me, because I don't want you to. But write the Scriptures down in the things that I say, and you go home and study and show yourself approved before God. I can't answer for you. But if you find yourself getting offended... Jesus said, even woe unto them that get offended, and even the woe unto them that get offended from a wicked offender. <laughs> Why was Jesus not offended? Because he knew that he couldn't go to the cross and die if he took an offense. So if you're offended or get offended, that's a sign that you're an individual in God's kingdom that cannot die yet and go to the cross. That'll get me a big offering, won't it? (laughs) Just kidding. Come on, have fun with me. I'm serious, but I love to enjoy ourselves in the cross. Because I'm determined to know nothing but Christ and Him crucified. That's why the early church wore the crucifix of Jesus. And on it in Latin, it says, Satan, this is your poison. See, we we don't understand our history because we've been taught as evangelicals to be very visceral against the Catholic Church when yet we don't understand the history of those things. And when Paul said proclaim his death until he comes, the reason that we need the crucifix because how many of you know it was his death that defeated Satan? Yeah. The early church understood those things. Anyways, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those I like to sidetrack every once in a while, but, you know, I have the authority up here. I guess I can... No, just kidding. Okay. Turn with me. Um, to, to, to Matthew chapter 23, Matthew chapter 23. And uh, we're going to cut in there, and I'm going to talk around to where we're going is Matthew 21. And uh, get ready to go to Matthew 21, and then uh, we're going we're gonna to probably jump to Genesis 1, uh, 1 and 2 and 3 just real quick to, so we can cut into this to try to bring some understanding and background to what is going on here. Jesus has to deal with the religious experts of his day. And Jesus was upset at these guys because instead of taking the old covenant system and bringing forth the light to the nations, salvation to the nations, somehow Satan slipped into the old covenant system and it became the synagogue of Satan. Instead of producing the sons of God, the sons of Satan were being produced because Jesus said, yeah, you could say Abraham's your natural line but i'm telling you your father's the devil now that's a that's a tough word under the, uh, what jesus how'd you like to have that prophecy under your ministry i mean those guys were rebuked by our lord because of what they had done to the earth and what they were to do and to bring forth in the earth they shut it off from the earth and so jesus had to deal with them and uh, so it's important that you understand the things i'm going to say tonight if you're going to understand biblical economics because it's the church's responsibility to empower the people of God in economics to bring forth the kingdom of God, which is tied to what I was saying with Deuteronomy 8.18, that God wants to give us an anointing to get wealth. He wants to give us power to get wealth, to establish His kingdom. Why His kingdom? Well, if there's a kingdom of darkness, and remember, there's two kingdoms in the earth. There's the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. Both kingdoms are operated by a father, One is the father of lies, and the other one is the father of truth. 
So both kingdoms work through light. Listen to me. Both kingdoms work through light. You remember Paul said in, uh, in 2 Corinthians 10, I think he said, he says, beware of, of Satan, he can appear as an angel of light. Light is an interesting study in the Hebrew. If you go back to the serpent in the garden that was uh, loaded with his divination, uh, we want to look at Eve in a literal serpent in the garden. I mean, we've been trained that through Hollywood and, and uh, Bible schools and all that kind of stuff. But what was happening there was is that God speaks through metaphors. And he used the term serpent in Genesis. But how many of you know that he uses Beelzebub in Matthew? It's both the same thing. It's Satan, right? He says Leviathan in Job. But it's still the same serpent in the garden, right? It's interchangeable. So Satan is used through interchangeable terminology throughout Scripture in different metaphors. And when we connect the other Scriptures around the symbolism that's given, we can interpret the metaphor. So here's Eve in the garden. Satan had fallen. And now he was working through divination, which is the power and energy that comes from the dark side. We all know the Holy Spirit side, I hope, right? Amen? Amen. And so what God was saying, when you look at the serpent, when you look at the serpent, look at the serpent, the word serpent there in the Hebrew means bright one. But God wanted Eve and Adam to understand, when you look at that light, don't look at it as my light, look at it as serpent. Serpent. And that's important that we understand that because Satan is coming in light form. But it's dark light. Jesus says, make sure that when you look into the eyes of the soul that the light in you isn't dark. So there's dark light and there's glory light. There's evil light and there's glory light. You understand the analogies that I'm giving. There are two kingdoms. One is produced... And comes forth through sin. The father of lies gets you to agree with a lie to cause you to go sin. And out of sin, the kingdom of darkness is illuminated. I can walk into a particular place and see how people were talking and know exactly what kind of light I'm in the presence of. Right? There's the dark light. There's cussing, swearing, profanity. They're doing actions that are producing sin. They're constantly producing the kingdom of darkness. But the kingdom of light is over here in Christians, and their responsibility is to walk out in righteousness every time I do a righteous act. In other words, it's interchangeable usage. It could be used as deeds, or it could be used as illumination. I'm illuminating light. Righteousness. The kingdom of God comes forth through righteousness. The other one is produced by sin. So you and I are called as kingdom builders. I was once a kingdom builder in the kingdom of darkness. And man, I knew how to build sin in the earth. Man, I was good at that. But now that I've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light... I have the responsibility to become a part of the city on a hill that cannot be hidden and let my light so shine before men that in the day of their visitation, they'll be able to glorify God because somebody shines some light in their life. Amen? So righteousness, when I do righteous acts, righteous deeds, 
I'm producing light. So I'm filling the earth up with light. Sin is filling the earth up with darkness. Righteousness is filling the earth up with glory. Presence. Each is carried out by a presence. Has anybody in the, been in the presence of evil? You can't see it, but you can what? Feel it. Has anybody ever been in the presence of God's glory? Amen? Isn't it an exciting place to be? So, that's what I'm saying is, is God wants biblical economics to come to His church for His church to bring forth His kingdom. Bringing forth His kingdom is bringing forth His dominion. Simple. But I'm a kingdom theologian. If I can't explain the kingdom to a little kid, I missed it. Because it's that simple. But the enemy, the God of this world, blinds us from the kingdom. He does not want the kingdom of God to come forth, he'll give you all kinds of religion. He'll make you look pretty, sing pretty, and act pretty. He'll give it all to you. But don't bring forth the kingdom of God because it's the only kingdom that can overthrow his kingdom. And so you can have great church, high church, praises, everything. I see it all the time where I go. And I'll sit and I'll pull a pastor to the side and I said, don't bring forth the kingdom here. You guys ain't ready. Because the enemy is so afraid of you bringing forth the kingdom, he'll attack certain people within your ranks, and he'll bring division. And if you can't handle the division, don't go there. Because he could care less. He'll give you thousands of people. Just don't bring the kingdom of God to the earth. Because he knows that's the only kingdom that can overthrow him. Now, Jesus is cutting in here in Matthew 23. And he has to talk about the conditions that these religious experts has left the earth. Instead of coming, bringing forth the, the kingdom of God through the old covenant system, a covenant is the stewardship of the kingdom. So God gave them the kingdom under the old covenant and they were to bring forth the kingdom in the earth under the old covenant. But it was such a time that Jesus had to come Because the old covenant was no longer bringing forth the kingdom, it had been shut down. And so that was that point in time that Christ came to make sure that his kingdom was not going to be shut down no more. So let's cut into Matthew 23 and let's see how Jesus dealt with these religious experts. Jump to verse 13 of Matthew 23. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites! For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering in, who are entering to go in. I can go on and on, but I don't have time tonight. So wouldn't you say the condition was a pretty sorrowful condition? These religious experts that knew all the things about God and had it down ceremonially, but totally shut off the kingdom of God from getting to the earth. Would you say that Jesus was upset at these boys? Matter of fact, he's going to step right into their evangelistic, their evangelistic efforts and he's going to address those efforts. Verse 15, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel the land and the sea to win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much as the son of hell as yourself. Now that ain't the lamb top, chop, fluffy Jesus that I've been told. 
he was upset and he was going to deal with somebody that had shut the kingdom of God off from the earth. Matter of fact, instead of going to win somebody for Jesus, they made him twice as bad as the son of hell as themselves. Now those are not my words. And if you can't handle the words of Jesus, you're an infantile Christian and don't try to handle those words. Just go try to figure out where you're at right now. But for those that are mature here that need to handle the words of Jesus, Jesus did not have good things to say to those that had shut the kingdom of God off from the earth. And if he didn't have good things to say to them then, how much more does he have to say to the church today that should know better? And we have all of this religious philosophy that looks good to my natural eyes, and all it it does is make me focus on the natural, not the spiritual. So anyways, I won't go any further there because that could really get me in trouble. (laughs) You got that, brother. You got it. Good. Let the Spirit reveal things. So now, these converts are twice as bad as the son of Satan. So let's take a little history as we get ready to journey back into Matthew 21. But before we go there, let's focus on this proselyting that was going on. Now, if we had time to go back to the tabernacle of Moses and the, uh, the engineers that God had sent in to engineer the tabernacle and all of their expertise and gifting and uh, their skilled craftsmanship to do the things that God wanted them to do, God slipped in there something that was very important is colors. Colors. You think colors are important to God? He created them. And in those colors that we find that when the tabernacle was being transported, all of its furniture had to be covered in the blue linen robe, the blue linen blanket, which was signed that this furniture in here and all of its representation doesn't mean anything unless it has the anointing on it. So we could talk about how the priest carried the secret dyes and the colors of these Uh, that these dyes would make and here the secret was kept all through the ages and was hidden in the temple these priests took something that God had given for his people to get wealth and to establish God's covenant his kingdom on the earth what the priest had done is they began to build up their own economic structure in their own financial enterprise what they would do is they would travel the seashores And when the ships would come in with the fine linens, everybody knew that these priests, even all of the Romans and the the Greeks, they all knew that the priests only had the formulas behind these dyes. And they would gather these fine linens coming off and they would color them and start making huge sums of money. And so instead of taking a convert and converting them to the Old Covenant they would convert them to their financial enterprises. Now remember when Nero sent the prince out of Rome, which was Titus on the siege of Jerusalem in A.D. 70, what he did was is that the reason that they wanted that temple was because of the wealth that was in it and all of the hidden treasures that were in it that was given by God to unlock God in the earth, not shut up God. To unlock God in the earth, not shut up God. That's why in Matthew 16, Jesus gave us what? Keys of the what? Kingdom to what? Unlock. 
God in the earth. Unlock his kingdom in the earth. And so these Pharisees would take these converts and convert them to their financial enterprise. It was a huge financial enterprise. The reason that the Romans wanted to deal with these priests so bad in that day because they owned more money and land in the region than most of the Roman governors. They knew how to get wealth. But their wealth was not bringing forth what? God's kingdom. So I could spend some time here, and I, I love to, to, to really talk about Matthew 23 because it's a, it, Jesus was just a mean old prophet here going at it. That's what one lady said. He's just a mean old prophet. No, he was just a righteous prophet full of fire in his bones. And he had to deal with these religious experts that had became so full of religion that they had to shut off the kingdom of God. Now we're going to take a journey into Matthew 21. But before we take that journey, we're going to see the condition of the temple. And that's why I'm talking about these things economically so that we can make a proper transition into the new covenant, which now has been given the stewardship of the kingdom. And what is God's plan and what is his instructions to bring forth the kingdom in the earth? Do you want to know that? Okay, we're going to talk about some of that tonight. So now we see that... Matthew 21 in its entirety that is probably in in some of my pictorial understanding. In other words, when I picture myself in the passage with Jesus or Peter or Paul, whoever I'm with, I role play everything that's going on and I say, okay, how would I think as I process that so that I can make sure that I got myself in the passage properly. So what I want to begin to understand is when I begin to meditate on this, I begin to see that Jesus was so excited to curse the fig tree. Because Adam and Eve, when they sinned before God, they wanted to deal with their sin their way. So what did they do? They sewed fig leaves together and made their own covering for sin. And so they covered the whole human race with religious covering. And we're going to talk about tonight, how do you know that you're not on that, under that false religious covering? Because that false religious covering is always taken before God. And we know perfect love covers the multitudes of sin. And I wish I had time to to really touch the entirety of Matthew 21, but I just want to give you enough to mess you up. Yeah, there's so much here, so I'm trying to trying to condense it because um, we got 25 minutes. Oh, help me, Jesus. Um, okay, so now Jesus wants to deal with this fig tree and this fig leaves because he wants to deal with what Adam and Eve put on the whole human race. And so this is an exciting time for Christ because he gets to deal with this. And so as we get ready to journey into Matthew 21... I'm going to have to chronologically give you another step here so that you can understand our journey into Matthew 21. In John chapter 1, Jesus went into the temple the first time. And he did a miracle, and he wanted to see how these religious experts that were supposed to know better was going to respond. And so when he did the the miracle in John chapter 1, they were indignant. And Jesus took his disciples, and he left, and he went to that prefigured fig tree again, And he gave the parable of the owner and the 
servant of that uh, vineyard or that uh, over that fig tree. And he said that uh, there's no fruit on it. He said, but the owner told him to cut it down and throw it into the fire, throw it into the sea. But he said, but let me put a little dung around the tree and then I'll come back and check it in, in another year. Well, if we go back here, two years prior to this, that was the parable when it was given that Jesus told the Father, let me come back a year to the temple in Jerusalem. That was his first time in Jerusalem in the temple. And he is prefiguring something here to get us in a prophetic flow of what he's trying to accomplish here in our understanding so we don't miss the entirety of the passage. So now Matthew 21 is Jesus one year later coming back to see the fertilizer that he put around the temple to see if it's going to produce fruit of the kingdom. And so we come into Matthew 21, and that's, that's the journey that's taking place. And to mention the word fruit there, it means the fruit of the kingdom. And I don't have time to get into all of that. I wish I did uh, because there's so many interchangeable things I can really confuse you. Um, but the fruit of the kingdom, and, and the fruit of the kingdom, the fruit of the kingdom. Oh, my goodness, we should talk about that. Real quick, you remember in Revelations chapter 4, the one who sits